I want to know everything there is to know about you. I am going to introduce me. You must have spotted her by now. She's always there. Don't I deserve love? Somebody has to like me best. Hello and welcome to the Don't Know Her podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Michael. And this week we are here to talk about something a little bit different. Yes, so we have already recorded future episodes, but we thought we would take this week, the week after the 93rd Oscar ceremony, and we are going to be looking at the actors that we really want to champion and that somehow didn't make it into the Oscar race really at all. And we're going to look at each of the four categories, lead actress, lead actor, supporting actor, supporting actor. And we're going to put forward somebody we would we really like and who we really recommend you check out, regardless of what the Oscars think. Who are they? Yeah. Who are they to make <laughs> exactly. any kind of judgment? Exactly. Here we are coming through with an alternative Oscars. And we will reflect a little bit on who was nominated and who won when we go through the categories. Um, and as this is the first show we're recording since putting out our first episode, we just wanted to say a big thank you to everyone listening, all the support, all the lovely messages, everyone that's rated us already. And we'd ask you to keep you know, rating us and sharing and doing all that great stuff that you've been doing. Um, it's really lovely for people to listen. <laughs> no, it is. And to engage with what we're doing and saying. And also people like, and checking out films, which is, you know, we love films. So the, the idea that you're kind of in some small way paying it forward to share the love of whatever film or whatever actor is terrific. No, no, exactly. To be honest, I thought it was just going to be us listening to ourselves over and over again, and that that would be the extent of of its reach. So it's so nice that so many of you have listened and seem to be enjoying and are coming up with some fun suggestions for down the line. So please keep that coming too. They are on the list. Yes, thank you. Um, And let's let's get into it. So we're going to approach this slightly differently to... The actual ceremony we're going to reverse the order of the categories which i hope is not as controversial as yeah. what the academy did um of putting <laughs> best film before best actress and best actor and causing yeah. all sorts of um let's avoid that shit storm so we start with best yeah. actor and we're completely covered no problems here so anthony hopkins um surprised i think everybody including the oscar um producers or the oscar <laughs> show producers in winning best actor and um, he wasn't there at the ceremony everyone presumed it would be chadwick boseman for Marini's black bottom um which would have been an incredible way to end the show if um sure. he mm-hmm. had one but Anthony Hopkins in The Father won. Um, incredible performance. Um, yeah, undoubtedly. It's amazing. It's amazing. I think it is like Anthony Hopkins is an all-timer and it's maybe the best he's ever been in certain ways. Um, I mean, I'll always champion The Silence of the Lambs, but it's it's not a bad win at all. It's not like somebody snuck in at the last minute who shouldn't be um, even getting close to to taking it from Chadwick Boseman, not that it was ever to be taken from. So that's why it's confusing. It just, there was a lot of furore around Chadwick winning and that going to be a thing and people just assuming that would be the case. So when Anthony Hopkins did win, 
you know, I, I think it and, and, and placed at the end of the ceremony. It, it creates a bit of an awkward, an awkward dud ending, unfortunately, and an otherwise quite smooth and interesting ceremony under the circumstances. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Smooth ceremony, <laughs> it may not be what people remember it for, but um, uh, yeah, totally. And of course, like the father on, on the face of it, you know, Ashton Hopkins is an older straight white man in a film called The Father, like, it sounds very Oscar Beatty, but actually the film is very, like, it is not your traditional sort of, um, you know, biopic fair that might win that sort of award. Like, I'm trying to think of something that also deals with mental health or, like, dementia, like Iris. Iris, to me, is a very kind of bog-standard sort of Oscar-playing mm-hmm. sort of film, but The Father is is not it's, it's no. really great which is it is frustrating because it's not be people can't watch it so the idea of like anthony hopkins this established man coming in and st- taking this award of course of course that is um confusing but yeah no he's incredibly deserving as is the other nominees and um, well i would say riz ahmed and stephen yin so riz ahmed for sound of metal and stephen yin for minari Gary Oldman is the person I would um, push out. Um, Gary Oldman and Mank, um, mm-hmm. who I don't like saying negative things, but no. Well, let's just assume for the for the purpose of what we're about to do, we're going to drop in another name. So sorry, Gary. We're just going to take you out for now, and yeah. we're going to put in someone else. And Michael, who are we submitting here? So yes, Gary. Good, but not close, but no cigar is what I would say. <laughs> um, and we would put in Delroy Lindo in The Five Bloods. Hey man, what the, what the fuck are you staring at? Who? There's two right there. Shit. There's two over there. I've staring at you for the last 10 minutes. Man. Oh, just chill, man. Just chill. Keep staring at me, man. Staring at all of us. There, there's no question to me that there would be anyone other for Best Actor that I would put forward. Mm. Um, it's shocking to me that The Five Bloods, it's so, The Five Bloods is a Spike Lee film. It went direct to Netflix. It was going to go to Cannes Film Festival before it cancelled last summer. And it's a story of um, four friends who um, were in the American Army at, in the Vietnam War and them going returning to reclaim gold that was digging digging dug that was dug (laughs) that they buried so they're coming back to find this treasure and there's a lot going on and delroy lindo is his arc is his story Mm. in many ways um his son gets involved you find out a lot about his life from um the war to this point you find out he's voted for trump you kind of get a sense of why that's happened and why this he's disenchanted with life he's suffering from ptsd he is he he's he's a pretty broken man and he's very vulnerable is not the right word because he is like physically not vulnerable but mentally very vulnerable physically very strong so he's actually quite a, 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 a he has such presence like in the dynamic between his friendship group they're both trying to like relax him but also 
totally know they've no no power. They 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 have nothing to say. All they can try to do is lure him into a sense of ease, um, which only works for some of the movie. So I've 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 watched it a few times, mainly because I'm forcing people like yourself to mm-hmm. rewatch it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we will we'll simultaneously watch it um from different locations like if i was to imagine why the five bloods and uh, rolinda with it weren't um successful when it came to like mainstream awards because it did do you know get some success at critics awards is the film itself is is complicated um mm-hmm. it's talking about a lot of different sorts of issues like it kind it comes back to black lives matter really at the end and, and you know and that's what i guess spike lee does often but it's not as um digestible to a mainstream audience is something like black Klansman, i would say like it's not yeah. a simple story no. because the vietnam war in itself has its own like baggage which he without any kind of um reservations kind of dives into it and and, and does like it re- like opens this complex box and doesn't try and look for easy answers um and daryl lindo is a is a victim of um of that war so anyway, there's, there's a whole lot of things for that. And the other reason I think people wouldn't have like noticed it is Netflix, because it's still very rare that any studio would have more than like a handful of films in the Oscar race. And Netflix had like My Rainy's Black Bottom, Mank, um, the, the Trial of Chicago 7. So they were pushing those. And like going back to like what we said at the start of this sector bit, like they probably were hedging all their bets on um, Chadwick Boseman winning and being their like play for best actor. I th- I can only assume so. Yeah, I think that's which is a, right. Yeah, it's such a shame. And well, I mean, we should flag the obvious thing here. The connection here is Chadwick Boseman is in the Five Bloods. He is in flashbacks of the guys in Vietnam fighting, and Chadwick Boseman's character. Um, dies he doesn't survive the war and Chadwick Boseman was being nominated for supporting actor in different places too so I guess Netflix just really was like we can't we can't have Chadwick Boseman be nominated twice like we want to just push him for my rainy and the five bloods is going to be pulled away um but it would have been a tough sell anyway because it is very um it it is very it's kind of like a chaotic epic story that Mm -hmm. isn't perfect but god it's like fascinating to watch yeah oh my goodness it's so interesting as is is anything spike lee touches basically in the five bloods and specifically delroy lindo's character i feel like it is set up and and has moments which i think do feel like not intentional grabs for oscars because that minimizes the performance and what's going on but there are moments in there that feel easy to latch onto, and therefore i'm surprised even if netflix decided not to push this film that people didn't latch onto it because there is this almighty moment which would have been clip heaven if it had been any other year because they didn't actually really use clips for the uh, acting categories at the Oscars this year. Um, yeah, and towards the end, he has this like Shakespearean type monologue. I mean, to say Shakespearean makes it sound very old fashioned. It isn't. It is this like piece to camera that is the spoken word. Like it's gorgeous and it, and it doesn't feel out of step with the rest of the film. Bathe me in that lymphoma, Agent Orange, herbicidal stew. Those army bastards, they scorched the earth with it, sprayed that shit in the air and the water, my bloodstream, my cells, my DNA, and my mother... 
fucking soul. But I ain't dying from that shit. You will not kill Paul. And he's amazing. He is amazing. The things he's like finally like releasing out of his mouth, like all of this kind of baggage. Oh, it is it's hard. Like there are I mean, all the all of the nominees, even Gary Oldman, there are moments where it's really like they're great to shine. But I find it hard not to come out of the, the five bloods and, and not think like that Del Lindo is one of the best performances ever, let alone like this year. So it is strange that he didn't feature anywhere not at the golden yeah. globes not at the sag awards not at the baftas and then not at the oscars um so let's go to best actress scott yeah so i um decided to flag up an actress who has certainly been rising up a lot more so in television over the past few years and i think that moment is still going to come and we're going to see um lots of amazing stuff from her but that is carrie coon who was in Sean Durkin, who directed um, Martha, Marcy, May Marlene, <laughs> a handful of years ago. This is his follow-up film to that. Um, so The Nest is uh, certainly a very different film from De Five Bloods, for example. It's far more clinical, shall we say, and and atmospherically on another side of the scale from that. It's um, quite chilly, icy, um, look into uh, a, a family at a point of flipping everything in their lives on its head, as they seem to do so often. So basically, Carrie Coon plays a character called Alison O'Hara, Alison O'Hara, who is married to uh, Rory, played by Jude Law. And he is someone who is very much driven by his work, and his ego seems to really drive the choices they make in their life and they're always kind of following him him on his whims and you know I have got this promotion so we must do this so he uproots them from their family house in America having already moved around quite a lot and says we have to go back to London I've got this job opportunity so we're going to live outside of London in this great house we're going to do it it's going to be great don't you worry so pack up their stuff and off they go and it's a really, really interesting little film. It it, it almost plays like um, horror at times, even though it's not at all, and it has no immediate elements which would suggest it is a horror film. But much like Martha Marcy May Marlene, it, it just has this foreboding air the whole time, and the, the sense is something's just off the mark, and it doesn't feel right, and, it, it, you know, it's going to catch up with them. And she has these moments which dotted throughout which are, are so impressive as she sort of is catching up more and more with with what her, her husband is up to and and sort of confronting the issues at hand and that money seems to be slipping away and they're losing the the handle on everything and he's overdoing it he's, he gets the biggest house he possibly can he buys the flashiest things gets the biggest stables for her horses everything is just money thrown at it when there's not the money to be had so she basically sees through the bullshit and she's had enough of it and there are two scenes in particular where she's out to dinner the first one just with him and she just flips the gender dynamic on its head all right well if you have all this money coming in 10 days then you can buy me dinner we can order whatever we want 
Of course. Of course. Are you ready to order, sir? Yeah, I think so. We'll start with a dozen oysters and the shrimp cocktail. My princess will have the Chateaubriand, and I'll do the whole roasted sea bass. Let's start with a bottle of white, and then we'll have red with our dinner, whatever you think goes best with our food. Don't look at him. I've told you what we wanted. Thank you. <laughs> and he goes away, and, and they have this argument. It's just like, oh, this is really wonderful to see you cutting through the bullshit. And then Jude Law tries to win it back. Mm -hmm. He's trying to, to control the dynamic at the table when the waiter's gone. And the waiter comes back and he's like, here's your wine. And he's offering it to Carrie Coon to taste it. And he says she doesn't know. Don't give it to her. She has got the faintest fucking clue about wine. So Carrie Coon grabs the bottle and drinks from it, um, the bottle directly. And it's like, it's fine. We'll take it. For fuck. <laughs> like, yeah. There's no, this, this woman will not be messed with. Um, mm -hmm. And the camera loves her. Yeah, the camera absolutely eats her up. And, and there's just so much. She has great presence. She casts the, both this steeliness, but it's really complex. It's a very cerebral performance. She's It's really intelligent. She The work, it's sort of similar to the things she was doing in like The Leftovers on television. It's, it's really complex, nuanced, amazing work. And it's... It's just so delicious. I, I love The Nest anyway. It's just sort of hit into a lot of things I, I love about cinema. And I am I, I, a fan of sort of chillier, icier dissections of um, family life and things like this. And, and it's a really great example of it. And yeah, I just love it. This one-upmanship game that is played between the two of them throughout. But she has the upper hand because she knows that he's full of shit and she just sees right through it. And it is so good to see and i would absolutely have had her in the category it felt at the start of the sort of season i mean i guess at the point where things were getting very strange with the pandemic anyway but it did certainly feel like a, a film that was going to be inserted into the conversation but besides it winning in some critic circles and, and getting attention there it it just kind of lost the traction I think it had maybe still a bit of a muddled release. In the UK, it's still not probably going to be fully released until summer. Um, and I think that might have hindered it too. But perhaps, again, it's just something which is maybe too icy, too chilly, too removed for the Oscars in particular to get behind. But she's she is undeniable, in my opinion, in this. And, and it would have been a really fun entry to what is already a great category. I wouldn't want to lift someone and take them out because that's a great category. But but I would put her towards the top or, or better than most of that category. Yeah, I mean, at least have her somewhere in the conversation. But as you say, she didn't really make it. Let's go to our the choice for support. Or let's go to supporting actress. Please. Um, which, of course, went to Yu Jong Young in Minari. Um, yeah, who, that's good. <laughs> who, I mean, my, she did basically tell everybody at, in her speech like you've been saying my name all wrong but i'll forgive you because you've given me this award yeah, and we're not gonna do it again um she yeah fantastic does great speeches you can see why people would like flock to vote for her really good character in minari a way to reward minari which is this beautiful film about um an immigrant family kind of making a farm um and about that family unit it's, it's when we just talk about the nest, Minari seems like a dream scenario of a family, even mm. though they have a lot of sh 
bad things yeah. going on too but it's so much more respect and love and kindness <laughs> yes kindness yes <laughs> so yeah really great and yes glenn close got her eighth nomination um, didn't win, but I don't think anyone thought she was going to win for Hillbilly Elegy. Um, Olivia Coleman for The Father, very good. I mean, I say very good, incredible. I couldn't stop crying. Um, Amanda Seyfried, 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 um, Seyfried, um, in Mank, who was kind of like in the back of my mind. I'm like, oh, I would love her to win, but she'll get her time. She was crying the whole time at the ceremony. Did you know? Did you notice that she's very emotional? <laughs> yeah. Which is good. I would be too. I mean, I was crying in my bed, so you know. I wasn't in a beautiful gown <laughs> sat beside David Fincher. So, you know, she had more reason to be like that. Um, and uh, Maria Bakalova from, I'm just going to call it Borat 2 because I can't say the title. Um, Borat, subsequent movie film. Yeah, but then it goes on and on. Yeah, that's anyway, all, but all like Hillbilly, questionable in terms of film, but those nominees are all very strong. Like all those mm. performances. Um, yeah. So, but there is someone that actually has just been like so under the radar and it's Leslie Manville in a film called Let Him Go. Now, who can I interest in a glass? Hmm? Oh, no, thank you. Hmm? Ah, well, I don't mind drinking alone. <laughs> ah. It's a movie that in a traditional like non-COVID world, I bet would have been released and would have made money and then there would have been some traction for some kind of recognition and it would have maybe landed on Leslie Manville who has just been Oscar nominated for Phantom Thread mm. and um, it's this kind of old-fashioned western with Diane Lane and Kevin Costner playing a couple who lose their son and their daughter-in-law and um, their grandson they form a new family unit with a new husband and um, that husband takes them away back to his um mothers like part of the like whatever the wild wild west um and um leslie manville plays the mother she's this matriarch she is oh, she's like part like betty davis part she's she's like hyper feminine in many ways like she has this big hair and she's like dolled up and she you know she's cooking for her boys and she's talking about her boys i don't know if all listeners will know this reference, but it's very much like Peggy Mitchell in EastEnders, sort of, you know, <laughs> get out of my pub sort really? of shit. We hear a lot about her, like there's a whole lot of tension around her, which, I mean, this is one of my favourite, like, tropes of a uh, supporting character, mm -hmm. um, is like you're building them up. And then you, when you meet her, like the first shot is she's like, she's hidden behind a lampshade her head we see like smoke billowing from like the cigarette <laughs> the table is set she's at the front of the table it's like she's ready for her meal like and this is what they're gonna have to do as so diane lane and kim costner are riding the house and then um, they have to play her game but she gives off this energy as if like one slip up and she will tear you apart leslie manville you, it does play all sorts of parts. And obviously in Phantom Thread, she's playing quite a powerful person within that household. But for her to play this kind of villain and like violent and, oh, like some of the things she comes out and like either implies or says, like she's basically implying that she will kill everybody. <laughs> like she will, she's going to do anything it takes to to not have her family fucked over. There's this incredible scene 
um, further on in the film where she goes, um, she finds out that Diane Lane and Kevin Costner are trying to plan to get the child back to their home. And so she arrives with her sons in their uh, motel. And Diane Lane's like, oh, but you you can't really want your son to be with our grandchild because like he hits her him. And she, she's like hitting a boy. That means nothing. And then Diane Lane says, but he also hits Lorna, the wife. Leslie, like you can her. So her face changes and she turns to her son and she's like, you hit your wife. And so and it, it's like it's gearing up. So then she asked Diane Lane, how do you do it with his hand? <laughs> Alberta Einstein. Yeah, I know with his hand. I'm asking how. Like. Hmm? Was it like that? Diane Lane is scared shitless, I, should, I would imagine. It plays out like you don't know what, you just do not know what this woman's going to do. She slaps her son and asks Diane Lane. How was it? It was harder. Harder? Like. But instead, Leslie turns and whacks um, Diane Lane. And the, the scene like escalates and escalates. I'm not going to spoil it, but like she she takes out. Um, I don't know what you'd call it. Um, let's call it a, 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 a blade. <laughs> Oh um it's a very and she but she's the one in control um it's a really i think a really impressive performance in a film where as as old-fashioned as it is it's like a western and you know trying to like f connect your family or find someone you've lost or someone's taken from you all this sort of stuff um it would play so well to an audience in a cinema Mm. And it would have made money because it is very strong. Like the, it's on Rotten Tomatoes. I was part of me was like, oh, maybe it's really like it's not been received very well. It's like eighty six percent, and people seem to really like it. And the performances, especially, I won't spoil the ending, but it is like it's so tense. Like I switched it on as like an escapist thing, and I was totally engaged. Um, as well as Kevin Costner and Diane Lane, as well as um. Les Manville. Um I loved it. It was like it was watching her was like electric. Yeah. Which she is. I mean, Leslie Manville is definitely an electric performer. Yeah, this one did just seem to fly under the radar. I'd heard of the film, but I can't say I would have known that she was in it. Um and for UK audiences, certainly, it has actually just gone on to VOD platforms, so it is readily available now. Um, and in other countries, I imagine it probably already is, because we're always last to the party on things like this. Um, so I'm excited to to give it a go. Yeah, Le Leslie, like, compared to, say, like, Delroy Lindo or Carrie Coon, I'm more than happy that she sat this one out, because she will be back with... I don't, God knows what she's going to have in the future. But... Um, no, she's a she's brilliant. Um, and then I guess our last category is supporting actor. Supporting actor, best supporting actor. So at the Oscars last night, that was won by Daniel Kaluuya, which was one of a few categories this year that did feel very sewn up from the get go. Daniel mm -hmm. did win 
pretty much at all the main Oscar precursor awards um, and very deservedly so. My goodness, he's amazing in Judas and the Black Messiah. It's a really, another electrifying performance. It's it's really rousing so and exciting. And he is just that. He's an incredibly exciting actor. So that is so deserved. And um, also in the category with Lakeith Stanfield, his co-star in Judas and the Black Messiah, which is a curious thing because they're both incredibly meaty parts. And that does raise some questions about these categories in general. And maybe maybe the value of them is is changing because there's there's sort of no clarity anymore. And, and having two black actors running and supporting when they're not is a really uncomfortable problem, I would suggest. Um, yeah, so I mean that's it's that latter part. That's like because the category fraud thing happens a lot. Like that's happened all the time, and mm. I know there's problems with it, and it should yeah. be addressed. But the real concern is like there is no lead if you put those two in supporting. Exactly. And how whoever's voting for both of them, like, like what does that mean of that person? <laughs> like, <laughs> like what? I just don't understand. Because the only other potential lead would be Jesse Plemons. It's like. But 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 he's not like there's no, no way there's no exactly. way that there is anyone but either of those people, and so it is a real shame. As much as though I'm so happy to say Lakeith is an Oscar nominee. Oh, absolutely, who is a winner? It's great. So the fact to get them in there, good. I'm 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 all for that. So hey, with with the bad, you take the good. But it also was a strong category. You also have Paul Racy in there for his amazing turn in The Sound of Metal. Um perhaps my personal favorite in the bunch but it, you know they're they're all doing good work so we uh, on top of those we also have Leslie Odom Jr for his uh, work as Sam Cooke in Regina King's once a uh, no uh, one night in Miami and once upon a time in Miami is that where <laughs> yeah that's what I was about to say is that where you were going I made a Tarantino flick um and Sasha Baron Cohen uh, for his performance in Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, mm -hmm. But for the purpose of, of this, uh, I'm going to maybe remove him. <laughs> so, Sasha, you're good. You've had a great year. But I'm just going to take you out. And I am going to present um, a young actor called Toby Wallace for his amazing, amazing work in a small Australian film called Baby Teeth. Um... I've just been kicked out of my house. Evicted? Yeah, evicted. Yeah, and uh, I've just, I'm sort of trying to put some money together to get a bed and a shelter for Why the night. Why'd you get evicted? Just because like, I got behind on my rent. I hate to ask you, you just seem like a really nice person. How much? Uh, just whatever you can manage. It doesn't have to be much. Just kind of saved your life or whatever. I only got 50. 50? That's too much. I can't. You can split it. Uh, no, no, no. 50 to okay. Now, baby teeth is also one that's very readily available at the moment. In the UK, it is on Netflix. So if you haven't watched Baby Teeth, please, please go and watch this film. So I have a lot of really warm feelings towards Baby Teeth for a start. I saw it at the London Film Festival in 2019. I loved it from the get-go. I thought it was uh, really impressive and interesting. And then when cinema started reopening in summer last year after the first sort of lockdown in the UK, it was the first film I went and saw back in the cinema on my second visit of it. And I loved it even more, perhaps. Um, so Baby Teeth is a, I guess when you describe it just in terms of the plot, it does sound like a kind of trite Sunday afternoon type weepy that you've seen a million times before, but it's really, really not. So it is a teenage girl 
who is um, unwell and has cancer. And it's about sort of her and her family's battling with that, coupled with a romantic thread which involves Toby Wallace. So um, it's, it's, it's not like what you get with other other films of this nature and that it's really authentic and and I would say quite prickly it's a, it's a little bit tricky it's a little bit um I don't know it's just more kind of zippy and exciting than than you would normally get from fear like this which can be very staid it it feels like it's genuinely coming from the characters like uh, so rewatching it recently because they like you I saw it in the cinema um, and then rewatching it recently on Netflix the thing that really stood out about it was, I don't like the 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 conflict isn't like that she's she's very unwell mm-hmm. or that he's like dangerous. It's kind of like they all have their own issues. All these like the mother, the father, this uh, Toby's character, and the the main character with cancer. And it's exactly. that, that's making the story. It's not yeah. that she has cancer. Yeah, exactly. So it is. It's it's again more of a sort of family dissection drama about a dysfunctional family. It is a sort of cancer drama, but it's far more about this wrong side of the tracks type romance. This young teenage girl played amazingly by Eliza Scanlon, who's another uh, big sort of rising star, and I'm really excited for her to keep going because th- this her performance in this as well is is really fun and interesting and exciting. Um, so she plays uh, Mila. This I think she's probably like 16, isn't she, in the film? And she meets the character of Moses, which is Toby Wallace's character, at a train station at the very beginning of the film. And immediately he's sort of dangerous and, you know, there's something you can't quite put your finger on with him. But then there's an immediate charm and an immediate sort of warmth. And he plays this so well. I, I kind of think of him a bit like, a wild dog or a stray dog. And unfortunately it's quite fitting with his character in that he has been kicked out by his parents. So he is sort of living a little on the rougher side and he ends up getting sort of welcomed into Miller and the, and the family life in their house. And it's sort of this stray dog entering this suburban hen house and the, the feathers that get ruffled from that are really wonderful. How old are you Moses? I'm 20. 16. Twenty. I'm twenty-three. <laughs> I'm a bit freaked out by that, but um, lucky for everyone, I forgot I'd taken a Zoloft when I took two Xanax while I was waiting for you at the hairdresser to show up, thinking you must have been abducted. Because why else would you not even come? We know that she's okay now, don't we? God. Right. The whole cast here, though, is amazing. I think if Baby Teeth was a Hollywood film, and with uh slightly more prolific cast. I mean, there are big names in here. Essie Davis and Ben Mendelsohn are wonderful as the parents. But I think if it was a Hollywood film and they were doing work of a, you know, near to the standard that's happening in Baby Teeth, it unquestionably would be nominated everywhere. The whole cast would be nominated. It's it's the definition of an incredible ensemble work. It's just really vibrant and full of life. So for a film with this kind of... Um, nature it it's it's just so vibrant and so full of life and 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 joyous and and I think Toby Wallace for me is the standout because he just comes in and he's just incredibly natural 
he's sort of animalistic, uninhibited, dangerous but vulnerable, good-hearted, magnetic. He he just when he's on the screen, it's so interesting. And the way he looks at the character of Miller, like she's an alien sometimes. He just doesn't know what's going on. He's this curious dog kind of like character that I'm describing as us. And I I just think he's he's doing wonderful work. And and Toby Wallace has done a few kind of bits and pieces, more so on Australian TV. And he was in a Netflix show called The Society, which aired a year or two ago, um, which has since been cancelled. But he's working in the upcoming Danny Boyle Sex Pistols series. He's, he's got a role in there. So that's exciting. So I do hope that he is going to get a lot more work to come. And he's a young chap. I think he's just about 23, 24. But... He's 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 magic in this. He's he's magic in a film which is in its own right magic. I I think Baby Teeth is a real one of a kind, and I would recommend anyone towards it because it's it's really special. Um, and easily we could have filled all of like uh, like best supporting actors and best actors yeah. with these performances. It could literally right. just be the main four players in this, and and yeah. they would all be really valid contenders. Yeah, um, no, it's wonderful little four-hander. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so before, we're going to go into like what we want for the future, and we're going to do that l- reflecting on who was nominated this year and what we'd like to, like where we'd like to see them go or what we'd like to see them nominate for. But before that, I'm going to, I have a few questions as is our usual structure. If you're ready, Scott. I'm ready. The prize will be a slap from Leslie Manville. That's what it would be. Okay. Well, there's. I would. I would definitely take a slap from her over most other people. So. Oh, so would I. Oh. Okay. Great. Um, okay. So one thing I was really hoping for last night was a tie. I love yes. a tie. Yes. Yeah. It would um, be so good. Do you know how many ties there have been in Oscar history? So more than one winner for one category. Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, I can only think of one in acting, I believe, which is the year that Catherine Hepburn and Barbara Streisand tied, Lion in Winter and Funny Girl. Um, Correct. 1969. 1969. Um, but I don't think there was any others in the acting categories. I know so, but maybe else. Hmm. I'm going to say there there might have been elsewhere, and therefore, on top of that being the only one I can think of off the top of my head, I'm going to say three. I don't feel like it could happen often with the amount of people in the academy. So it's happened six times. Okay. Um, the first time was 1932 for best actor, then 1950 for best documentary short subject. Um, as you said, Best Actress, 1969, with Catherine Hepburn and Barbara Streisand. Sadly, Catherine Hepburn was not in attendance, so it was only Barbara Streisand on the podium. Mm. Imagine. Oh. Best Documentary Feature, 1987. Then in 1995, Best Best Short Film, Live Action. And then the one which, during our Oscar watching time, was Best Sound Editing, 2013, which was... I remember that. I was so exciting. So yeah, I really, who won it I li- again? I am remembering that now. Who won sound editing and tied it? Skyfall and Zero Dark Thirty. Yes, right. I do remember. Oh, yes. Now that that is it is a fun thing, and and it would have been so perfect last night, given the nature of the the actress category in particular. Imagine they were just like it's a four way tie. <laughs> okay, very good. So you kind of 
you kind of got you got, got a, few, one. a little I bit of a point time. in there. Um, <laughs> okay, so this is my one of my all-time favorite moments ever in the Oscars, which I talk a lot about. So I'm a, you will know of, but just for everyone at home, in 2003 at the 75th Academy Award uh, ceremony, Olivia de Havilland came onto the Oscar stage to present a group of past winners for a very long-winded reunion. Scott, can you tell me how many past winners were on that stage? And just to be clear, in her introduction, she says, like, it's the 75th year of the Academy Awards. And for this, here are X of them past winners. And it's very like, what? What a weird number when it's 75. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, because I'm trying to remember who was on the. I like. I don't even think I could remember who was there. Was it? Was it people across different categories? I'm trying to get this. No, sort of, just random actors. It was like, just it was, random it, actors. It was not. It did not make sense. Like, yeah. So it would have been better if they were like Jane Campion won a screenplay for the piano yeah. and all this. But no, instead it was. It was just. Um, yeah, I seem to remember it being so. At least they were all kind of visible i might be completely wrong and i've just literally uh, this is weirdly emptied from my head but i i'm gonna say like <laughs> 10 because i feel like they were fanned out but i might be mistaking it with something else there was 59 59 of them okay whoa so definitely will no it went on very very long time and then at the end it was like and here are the four new winners and it's like what so like the you know can zeta jones nicole kidman Chris Cooper and Adrian Brody came out, and it was just, it, it. Even even I struggled with that. If that happened last night at like four a.m., I would have been like, "Stop it! Stop the whole show!" I <laughs> I can't deal with twenty minutes of this. Um, but I still love it. It's a wonderful moment. Um, cool. So you were way off there. Yeah, um, no, that was that's actually bef- before my Oscar watching day. So that's that is why I haven't. I wouldn't have known that. Hmm. Sorry. Well, as punishment, you will have to watch it on repeat until you can <laughs> remember the exam. Um, okay, so what actor or actors have the most acting nominations without a win? Actor, actors have the most acting nominations without a win. Two, eight apiece, Peter O'Toole and Glenn Close. Correct, yeah. Peter O'Toole did win an honorary Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're closely followed by Richard Burton, who had seven Oscar nominations. Okay. And then six is Amy Adams, who clearly is going to like chase up the scale, I would yeah, assume. Yeah, big time. Um, Deborah Kerr and Thelma Ritter, they all had six, those three. So, yeah, I mean, what company? Yeah. I want to be be the biggest loser. Why not, not? Yeah, exactly. It's a great list to be in. And then you're Glenn Close and you get to twerk at the end of an Oscar ceremony and get everyone chatting. So, hey. Um. Okay, so now can you tell me what um, how can you tell me how many best actress winners were directed by women? Whoa, oh, that that's a good question. How many best just best actress winners were directed by women? Oh my goodness, it's going to be very few. So obviously, we have last night we have Frances McDormand being directed by Chloe Zhao. Woo-hoo. So that's one. Uh, Holly Hunter, Jane Campion for the piano. Um, Bigelow's never 
directed someone, even though Chastain should have won that year for Zero Dark Thirty. Um, who else could have? Let me think. No. Oh, it's it's going to be like barely any, isn't it? Um, Meryl Streep, The Iron Lady. Yeah. Um, Hilary Swank, Boys Don't Cry. Yeah. Charlie's Throne, Monster. Yeah. Okay, now we're on a bit of a roll. Um, I, w- I will tell you that there was no more in After 2000. So that's all of them After 2000. Mm-hmm. And how many... Well, no, not how many, because that then answers the question. Uh, so no, forget that. No more clues. Um... Okay, so there's no more after 2000. I've just named, what, five names? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to say there's going to be barely any before that. So I'm just going to make a stab, because otherwise we're going to hear for hours, and say that over the rest of history, maybe another three. So I'm going to say eight. So, no, there was just one more. So as you said, right. France McDormand, No Man Land, um, directed by Chloe Zhao. Uh, Meryl Streep, The Iron Lady, Philadelphia. Phil- Philadelphia Lloyd, Jesus, I don't know. It is Philadelphia Lloyd, isn't it? Yeah, Philadelphia. Um, Charlie, Charlie Theron. Okay, I'm just going to stop saying names. Charlie Theron in Monster. Patty Jenkins directed that. Hilary mm-hmm. Swank in Boys Don't Cry. Kimberly Pierce. Holly Hunter. Jane Campion. And then there was one other. Marley Maitland. Children oh, of a Lesser God. Children of a Lesser God. And Randa Hines or Haynes um, directed that. Okay. So and she was also a presenter last night, which was kind of fun. I mean, they weren't going to make that point of how few <laughs> best actress winners were directed by women, but um, I thought I just think that was an interesting. That is really interesting. Fact. Six so out of six, and I can then imagine best actor is probably going to be even less than that. I would assume so, but I couldn't tell you that. Off yeah, off the top of my head, neither. But actually, yeah, I can't. I can't think of any. And no. I'm just going to flag this now. The mess, but France McDormand and Meryl Streep would have had enough leverage to get those films off the ground. It's, and for both of those, it yeah. was a combination between them and the director. Yeah, that would have made that movie. So exactly. Um, this is my way of just saying how you know there's a lot of problems with institution in, institutional problems um, like this. But yeah. something like No Man Land winning, I think, is incredible. Um, yes, it is an incredible win. For, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you did all right. You didn't lose. Um, <laughs> I don't think you, you're not going to get a slap. So I okay. think that's a positive outcome. Well, yeah, you could look at that either way, I guess. But if Leslie wants to give you one, who am I to stop her? <laughs> um, so let's go into the future stuff. Like, I think there's a clear person to talk about would be Glenn Close. Yes. Glenn Close has lost eight times. She's threatening doing her Sunset Boulevard stage adaptation musical. (laughs) Which, if I say right here, right now, if that does win her Best Actress, I will... um, what what I don't know what I could do, but I will I'll eat my hat. Is that the sort of shit people say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You but should I... eat it. Your big hat you're wearing I... now. Yeah, my big non-existing hat. Um, it, it's just I just can't imagine that turning out well. Um, after seeing it on stage, it just feels like a very like long-winded musical. 
that doesn't translate to cinema, particularly when there already is this incredible film that exists at Sunset Boulevard. But I do think Glenn, like, if Glenn keeps working the way she is working and doing interesting roles and, like, pushing herself, why couldn't she win? I know the wife, the wife situation was, like, her moment and how she lost it. Probably a bit like Chadwick Boseman. I think people just presumed there was enough people voting for her, so they voted for whoever they else they wanted. Um, I imagine is what happened that year with Olivia Coleman winning for the favourite. But Glenn could have a moment. Um, a best supporting actress, probably best option. Minari yeah. two <laughs> with <laughs> with Glenn Close. Oh yeah, both of them in it. Oh, it's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, a buddy comedy. <laughs> They go to they go to New York. I don't know what they do. What do you think of Glenn and the future? Oh, I mean, I I'm really desperate for it to happen. It's always fun to kind of smirk at it, but only because I think she does have a good sense of humor and she would take it well. Um, but yeah, I really I just want something. I mean, for me, the wife wasn't the one, even though I can admire it and I think it's an interesting role. Um, Hillbilly Elegy definitely wasn't the one, but there there is things that I just wish she got more of. Like my my Glenn performance is Dangerous Liaisons and Fatal Attraction. I I love to obviously, but Dangerous Liaisons. I love what she's doing there, the intensity she's bringing, this bubbling energy. And when when Glenn Close is used right, it's it's amazing, and I just want that. But I want it to be the right thing. I want it to connect with it to be the right thing. So basically, keep casting Glenn. Give her good stuff. Probably is going to be a, a, a solid supporting role that's going to be the thing that tips her into the win now. But I'm absolutely here for it. Um, she, I mean, yeah. come on, come on, come on, come on. Willing it into the world. Glenn, it'll happen. I'd also, I'd love like a, like a Nancy Meyer style like romantic oh, comedy please. like something's yeah. got to give where yeah. where she's giving a whole load of stuff going on and she because she is so much fun on social media when she, as we say she's like twerking to debut um <laughs> all that sort of thing i think that would be fun particularly after hillbilly and the wife and they're heavy and sunset boulevard is heavy again mm. um and to have her sing is is glorious yeah but i just I'm, I'm, I just get really nervous when I keep seeing it. I was like, oh, don't worry, Glenn's going to win for Sons of Boulevard. Like, but why? In what? What are you like? What are the examples that she's following for that? Like, Phantom of the Opera. What? Like, yeah. Cats. Like Andrew Lloyd Webber. Like Evita is probably the best adaptation of his work, or Jesus Christ Superstar. But they're not. Jesus you know, yeah. they're not there. Um, yeah. So no, I yeah, I, I don't have any doubt Glenn will be back, and if not, she's going to win an honorary award. They're going to have to give her one, and that'll oh, be glorious. Yeah, which that is nice, but no, I want her to win the competitive Oscar, which she Do does. You? She does deserve. Yeah, I want. I imagine all of the people that bet her to be standing on stage. So you've got Meryl Streep, <laughs> you've got Cher, you've got um, uh, Olivia Coleman, you've got um, oh my god, my mind's going blank now. Of all the the eight people that better but them all on stage to like say different things and it's kind of like a retrospective <laughs> i'd love it oh my god that would be so great one of the stats from last night that i really loved when i i read it if amanda seyfried won then all three generations of the mamma mia women would have beat glenn to an oscar so that would have been fun had that happened <laughs> 
Okay, well, now I'm hoping she's nominated two more times. Once where she is bet by Amanda, yeah. and then when she wins, actually. Because then Amanda could be a part of that tree. Maybe they could all sing an ABBA song at her. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Dancing Queen. Okay, there we go. Oscar oh. producers make it happen. Oh my god, so in for it. Um, similarly, on the kind of flip side, so taking kind of what Glenn would have been much earlier in her career is this incredibly reliable, strong performer. Carrie Mulligan, this train is surely on course now. She has been doing amazing, like literally amazing work since she started and, and hit big time in an education. I mean, I know she was in things before that, but that's where she first made her mark. But she then hasn't been nominated for an Oscar since in education, has she? Which is mental because... Which is wild. Um, Fully bananas because there's so much stuff that should have been like shame i had in my head like she was definitely nominated for shame and then when i went back and i was like whoa but she also has all these other parts and also these other films like mudbound which for whatever reason didn't like click with award voters in a big way yeah so she's been a yeah she deserves to be uh, well what i would hope would happen from the nomination and from the huge success of promising young woman Um, is that she, so many opportunities are offered to her because she seems so open to like yeah. new voices and ideas and storytelling. Like she's a very exciting um, personality as well as an actor. So, and and whereas I, I can often think about maybe what specifically I'd want for them down the line in terms of a director with Carrie, it, it like you say, she's open to voices and it could be anything and everyone. Like you could take the lineup for directing nominees last night and I would let say she should work with all of them. So she should work with Emerald Fennell again. That would be amazing. Chloe Zhao, get her in there. I can imagine her and David Fincher getting on really well because they both seem quite precise in, in what they're doing a lot of the time. So I think that could be a really good fit. Um, but I, I don't doubt it's going to happen. And like you're saying, off the back of this sort of support and love for Promising Young Women, I think Carrie's name is going to be right in the forefront of of um, casting directors and directors' minds. So I'm, I'm, and I'm here just for it. Put, yeah, I'm just going to put this out here. I know I'm now like I'm ending every person with like a rom-com, but I would love to see her in a rom-com thing yeah. with Riz Ahmed. <gasps> um, oh, like, yeah. yeah well, I, let's put Riz Ahmed in any every movie yeah. ever uh, no so. resentment's wonderful that was a highlight like, he has never looked so handsome and he also was so like happy to be there mm-hmm. and he was given like yeah he was great um it was all very lovely but uh, Riz Ahmed could like i've no doubt again he's another one a bit like harry that's gonna you know has making interesting choices it's so great that sander metal has given him like a bigger platform but yeah him and um carrie would be great. Also, Carrie yeah, was good. doing an interview and she was asked about like who was she excited to meet, and she says Riz Ahmed. So now in my head, I'm like, well, there we go. Something's gonna happen. <laughs> there we go. Oh my god, maybe they'd like literally sat down afterwards and like, how are we gonna make this happen? Do you have Nancy Meyer's number? <laughs> yes, I do. Let's give her a. <laughs> no, I wouldn't put them in Nancy Meyer. I, I know. Any... I'm oh, no. joking. Oh my god! I'm Imagine joking. an Emerald Fennell like rom com. Yes, that's Yeah. Oh my god! Get it. Get her. Um, um, get a letter written now. So, go, moving away from the actors, I would. Uh, I mean, you know, of course, I'm going to go with these people. But Pixar have like a stranglehold on the animation oh, yeah. feature mm-hmm. category. But what about? cartoon saloon they you know this year they were nominated for wolf walkers uh, lost to soul and they've had 
you know, Song of the Sea, Secret of Kills, and they just haven't um, won. Oh, it's because it's the unbudgeable bloody Pixar. I mean, obviously Pixar put out good films, but yeah, you're right. It's just sort of really dull city now. <laughs> there, there, um... and it is, and even seeing like Pete Doctor take to the stage is a very it's kind of like you again and, and not in an exciting way like you said like with Francis McDormand or whoever but he I don't know there's something to to like badly quote the film like soulless about giving them that award again and again and again and I do like soul like I, that, that makes it sound like I don't like the movie it's fine um, and there's a lot of amazing things to it but it's it's like I don't know. I, I just, I think it seems strange to keep rewarding the same sort of thing. Cause I think mm-hmm. soul is very similar to say inside out and inside out superior. Yeah. So just to, to like reward it again and again, but they will have their moment um cartoon um saloon. Yeah, surely. Yeah. 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 I mean, everything they seem to be, or certainly those three you've named have been very beloved and they're all really, it's really beautiful stuff. Wolf Walkers was gorgeous. So yeah, that's that's a really good point of of suggestion. It should it should they need to clear off, and or just Disney in general because I mean sometimes there is the occasional win where it is just a, a not a Pixar but a Disney animation studio. So your mm-hmm. Moanas, your Frozen's, things like that. Um, but let's just have them step aside completely and let one of the other um, dogs in. Yes, and then the only one I, other one I have, and it's definitely going to happen. Um, is I'm in love with the work of Emile Mozeri, the composer who did, he was nominated this year for Minari. He also uh, composed the music to Miranda July's Kajillionaire uh, last year. Incredible a film, incredible score. And also did uh, the score to Last Black Man in San Francisco. Incredible score. And he's just someone, I think that would be there. Uh, I want to be careful that I wish this because I feel like with composers, when they like them, like then one year they'll be nominated for like three things. So, he, you know, I, but he will be doing that anyway. But uh, that he keeps on working with people like Miranda July um, to, and making these really interesting choices. Um, yeah, I'd love, I'd love him to take to the stage. Yeah, no, that's a good one. His music's really gorgeous. So um I'm all for that. But yeah, and the only, the, like the last one I wanted to point out, because we, we've we had this conversation off the podcast, but Viola Davis. Viola Davis is someone who basically deserves people, like deserves all sorts of roles, all sorts mm-hmm. of opportunities. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But isn't getting them. Like I do, like as much as it's amazing that she's been nominated however many times, she was very close to winning for Marini. It's, it still feels like she's being boxed in a little bit in terms of what she's capable of and what's being offered to her. So Mm -hmm. like open, like blow the doors off, like do something like, I don't know. It's really frustrating because she clearly wants to, and you know, has a production company is trying to get things off the ground. Um, But then when she makes something as great as widows, it's kind of ignored. Um, Yeah, exactly. It's so it's strange. It's, it is like, she feels typecast and Hey, she's in terms of these performances she's getting nominated for, she's absolutely incredible and it makes sense. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, but she just always is. And there's just so much more strings to her bow and it needs to be harnessed and used. But I mean, she is one of the most talented working actresses, of course, 
So yeah, more things like Widows and just different things. And hey, let's just keep throwing out this desire for rom-coms. Viola Davis yeah. in a rom-com. Fuck yeah, please. Yeah. Yes. Um, she would be wonderful. Sexy oh. and just, it's so exciting. She's watch. so sexy. Yeah. Oh, that w- that's a great shout. Um, or even Mamma Mia 3. Bring her in as... Um, <laughs> Here we go. I don't know how. Where does she fit into the the family tree? We don't know. But then she can be someone that also beats Glenn Close at the ne- at an Oscar ceremony. <laughs> I don't know. Keep that train going. Okay, just cast her in everything. I'm presuming she has a beautiful voice. Yeah. Um, not that it matters. Pierce Brosnan isn't got no, a nice exactly. voice. And he's able to sing. <laughs> Sound off his old boots, and <laughs> so it doesn't matter. So yeah, oh, I just I feel really like hopeful for all of them. Yeah, I don't know. Like, obviously, I do, and that's why we do this podcast. But they're all so good, and even like Delroy Lindo and Carrie Coon, Leslie yeah. Mantle, of course, and yeah. Toby Wallace. Yeah, these are all going to have good careers from here. I feel really confident in it, and I think just this year in general, I think a lot of people are going to have some complaints about last night's Oscars. But I think it, it's there's a lot of optimism there. There's a lot of things to be excited about. We champion stuff that otherwise might have flown under the radar had it been a different year, or maybe it just wouldn't have. So let's jump up and down and keep banging the drums for Nomadland. Let's not say oh, it's the winner now, so oh, of course, boring, like we can often do. No, let's say this is a fucking great win. Let's have more of this. Let's just have great cinema. We want them to be back open. We want to have a good time and I just think it's a good time to be excited about cinema. Yeah, I, I would just like caveat that if you don't like No Man Land, absolutely fine. But what I would say is like, don't start saying like it didn't deserve. Like all these things are objective, so it doesn't yeah. really matter who wins these awards. It is amazing, like amazing, like and only the second best actress. Uh, sorry, best um, female director, things like that. Like it's mad to think like madness. We're still like burning those kind of stats. Anyway, but um, yeah, loads of positive spins and we now know how Daniel Kaluuya came to be on Earth in his speech about his yes. having sex. It turns out it was sex. How funny that. So <laughs> anyway, well next week we are going to resume our, our, our usual thing. So we're going to be talking about one actor and reflecting on their career. Um but we hope you've enjoyed this sort of like reflection on this year's Oscars and some performances that we really like that we're not being celebrated at the ceremony this year. Yeah, I mean, it was maybe a little bit of a, a side diversion, but it's our podcast. <laughs> we can do what we want. Um, no, thank you for in joining us. In the music. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to make Mamma Mia happen. Um, okay, so where so people can find us on um, don't know her underscore pod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you have any thoughts, um, complaints, compliments, you can contact us at <laughs> don'tknowherpod at gmail.com. Um, all of that is very welcome. And yeah, so thank you. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, listeners. Thank you. And here's to another great year of cinema ahead. Yes. And do check out some of the films as you can. They will be hopefully coming out sooner rather than later everywhere wherever you may be. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.